you feel like, Robert, that there's like any bad Sofubi out there? Like, are there any people who are not doing it well? There are famous Western vinyl artists like James Jarvis or Kaz or Kozik really got their first start with Japanese companies like Bounty Hunter. Mm, nope. Okay, here I go. <laughs> hey, toy family. Welcome to another edition of the Marsham Toy Hour, where we discuss anything and everything designer toys. I'm Teresa Hawkins, and I have with me today the beautifully bearded George Gaspar. Hello. <laughs> and then I also have the Six a Dog, Sangry Gary Ham. Hello. So you all may be wondering why the heck I'm introing, but Gary, I'm trying to save you from dealing with the woes of being sangry and sick. So I'm going to try to help you out as much as I can today. I appreciate that. Thank you, Teresa. God, you sound so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel great. (laughs) It's been a long week. I've been sick all week. It's it's the flu. I'm still running 101 temp, and I've had it since uh, Monday. I just can't shake it. You know you're allowed to take like a week off of this podcast. No, no, I know, but you know we've um we rescheduled on Robert more than we've ever rescheduled anyone ever before. So I would just we uh, I definitely want to uh, talk to Robert and then you know it's I know I can take a week off, but um, that's what I have you guys here for though. You guys are my backup for when I can't do something. Yeah, we'll try. You can't really fill your shoes, Gary, but yeah, you can. We'll do our best. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you kind of alluded to it, but we do have a returning guest today. Um, and so back with us is Lulu Bell's uh, Robert Howell. And we actually brought him on because uh, this Saturday, which will actually be the past weekend by the time this recording comes out, but there's actually a custom Sofubi toy show uh, that will be opening called The Painter Show, The Art of Custom Toys. And it was curated by Funcy, but... Uh, It's actually focused on select artists highlighting their custom paint skills by submitting um, different Sofubi that they painted, but that were produced by someone else. So we wanted to bring them back on and chat about this show, Sofubi Customs, and also kind of educate our Sofubi noob selves on more about the Sofubi world. So welcome back, Robert. Thank you guys so much for having me. Well done, Teresa. Was that okay? No, that's good. I kind of flubbed on one word in there, but not too shabby. Not too shabby. I can do this. That's what makes it real. (laughs) I was looking forward to going to that show, but I think it's best that I stay home, Robert. I don't know, man. Just wear a paint mask and come on in. I've been to that back room. It's uh, it's close quarters rubbing shoulders with everybody, so I don't don't want to spread my germs. Gets a little stuffy. Yeah. The flu is like... A pandemic, right? Is that even a word? Epidemic? It's an epidemic right now, yeah. 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 But it's like spreading like crazy. Like, I think it would probably be best if you don't keep it spreading. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, I'm glad to have you, Robert. And I know, was the last time you won, we were talking about uh, the collector side of things and all the goodies you collect? It was a little collector focused. Um, There was some hints here and there about the kind of scene that revolves around Sofobi and Japanese soft vinyl collecting, but it was generally, for the most part, about what I personally dive into and what's in my home. So Gary and I are always talking, and and I know George, you're 
you probably need a little knowledge yourself, but like we know that on the show a lot that we tend to focus on, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're into, but since Sophobia is something that we want to know more about, we wanted to bring you on and help educate us because we are, I consider myself kind of a Sophobia noob. Like I need a one-on-one Sophobia education. So I'm glad to have you back so we can talk through it some more and hopefully learn some things. Fingers crossed I do somewhat of a justice <laughs> with the knowledge that I have obtained in the last few years. No, you got a lot of knowledge. We need to get out of that head of yours. Um, so let's do that. But first, we're not going to do leaks and sneak peeks <laughs> this week, Robert. What we want to do is sort of okay. talk on the two highlights that seem to happen in toys this week, one of which was the Vero app that many artists seem to be trying out, and the other was the Super Plastic announcement um, about their janky figure. It seems like it's going to be a 19 multi-artist series um we don't know much more than that so let's just go ahead and talk on those two things for a bit yeah well so like clearly vero was like flo- i don't know about you all but like it was flooding my instagram feed of all these people posting a screenshot saying i've joined come find me i've joined come find me and then like throughout the week then it kind of transitioned to people like potentially uncovering some dirty things about the app and the developer who created it and like all this stuff so i feel like I'm getting very mixed messages right now about this app. And um, I mean, I created one because I thought, well, you know, I'll go check it out. I like social stuff, but I don't know. I it, It's been like incredibly buggy. Like I can't, I can barely even get on and use it. So I've only really created an account and posted one thing to check it out. And that's about it right now. So did you all create any? I wasn't going to. So I waited as long as I could and finally... I kind of fell for the marketing of the first 1 million subscribers get free for life or whatever. So then I tried to download the app, but my phone isn't compatible, so I don't have it. And I'm sort of glad I didn't download it because I really don't want it. I don't want another social media thing. This sort of feels like all these other things that supposedly was going to be the next thing. And I just – I don't want to be juggling two apps. And everyone was already saying like, oh, check me out on Vero, but I'm still going to be doing the exact same thing on Instagram. So it's like, there's no need for me. I can I can still find what I need on Instagram. Yeah, it takes longer, but I can still find the info despite the, the algorithm thing that's going on. Now I feel the same way because I already follow people through Facebook and Instagram, some on Patreon. Like, I can get my, and you know, there's blogs out there. So like, I feel like I can get my news if I really want it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not having an issue there. So I just thought, well, new app, I'll check it out. But yeah, I I semi-regret it. But at the same time, I want to give it a chance. So I'm kind of leaving it out there right now. But I don't really feel like I need it per se. And I I already follow so many apps and avenues already. It feels like just another thing to add to the list. Robert, George, did you all create one? I did not know. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. (laughs) So have you used it at all? Because, George, I can't really get it to work. Like, it's buggy. There, uh, there is a lot of downtime with it. A lot of the time you'll get the notification and you'll go look and it's not there yet or, like, it still hasn't updated it inside of it. But uh, it just sucks. I just wish Instagram would just fix their problem, you know? And I, I just wish they'd go back to, like, you know, chronological order. Like, stop this whole you telling me what I want to see. Like, I just want to see what people post. That's why I'm following them. Do you think yeah. do you think this thing going on with Vero will cause them to listen to what people want and maybe switch it up, at least give us that option of a chronological thing? And would you pay for it to be chronological again? Would you pay a five dollar a month fee? 
I wouldn't pay five dollars a month for any app. No. No. Social. I will never pay for a social app. No. 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 But and I don't know. I'd be very surprised if this whole Vero thing shakes things enough for Instagram, which is basically Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, to say, "Oh yeah, let's consider that," because they've obviously done it for a reason that benefits them, which they have every right to, because we're not paying anything to use it. So I'd be surprised if if Instagram changes at all as a result of this. But uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I don't think they're going to change anything up because Vero isn't a legitimate scare for them, uh, considering people were jumping ship. But I think the servers are so overloaded with users, and that's why nobody can even use it. And then having the first million people get it for free, everybody else doesn't want to pay after that. Nobody ever wants to. So I can't really say Instagram's even saw this as a threat, so I doubt they're going to change anything at all. I mean, people have been uh, expressing the discontent with the algorithm and how everything's so out of order for so long that if they wanted to listen, they would have by now, but... You know, right. Un- unfortunately, I think they know they've got everybody by the throat and they're just going to carry on exactly yeah. how they've been doing business. So I agree. I-, I think they're just doing what they do and they- they've got to know that people have voiced the desire to go back to being chronological. Because I will say that, oh, yeah. yeah, like the way I used to use Instagram, it really was like every morning I'd get on and I'd literally catch up to the last time I looked. Like I would sit mm-hmm. and like wake up early enough to like get back to where I was and now like I just get on every now and again and it's like I know that my feed's gonna be a mismatch of stuff just like the Facebook newsfeed kind of so I just more yeah, exactly. you know like I just kind of go I might go check a few places or do a quick scroll but I definitely don't use it like I used to yeah. Yeah. So I've done some of the, the research that you guys are talking about, some of the negative feedback. And yeah, it sounds like the, the man behind the, the application has some really bad um, labor issues behind him of not paying like 30,000 people and governments had to step in and all that sort of stuff. But I think the thing that, that concerns me most is you can't just delete your Vero account yourself. Like you have to submit it and hopefully they accept your mm-hmm. um, submittal for deletion. And I don't like that. That seems shady to me. Yeah. Well, if having a bad history or being a bad person would ever stop anyone, there'd be no Uber. So obviously no one's going to care who, who owns the app. <laughs> I mean, to to an extent, the, the literal controversy behind it was that he had some kind of construction company and he basically didn't pay like 30 some odd people and left them all like jobless, which a lot of them went homeless and he just took the money and ran. Yeah, that's and, what I read. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and the other major controversy also was that Vero, in their terms of service, basically says that anything you post to the service is not protected by anything. So people can just steal your content, steal your photos, and use them literally for whatever they want. Versus with Instagram, at least to an extent, you know, if somebody's stealing your photos, you can report that. If somebody's making fake profiles of anything, you can report that as well. But with Vero, they can, you know, if Gary posts a custom, somebody can steal the photo and take credit for it and say that they did it. And literally nothing can happen outside of you personally saying you did not do this. Hmm. 
Interesting. Because, see, I had heard, I, I know a lot of people were talking about the terms, and I had ha- kind of heard mixed things. A lot of people saying, oh, it's really bad. And then people saying, no, it's basically just like Facebook and Instagram, if you really dig into there. So that that's interesting. I mean, I, I know that has, like, as someone who likes to post photos and stuff, it's nice to get credited. And then, obviously, as artists and stuff, I mean, that would be super sucky. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the short of this whole thing is just Vero dropped the ball. You know, for one week they had this Instagram revolution going on. People were really excited about something being, you know, chronological again. And I haven't seen the app, but I heard there was a lot of other nice features going on within Vero. Um, But unfortunately, they couldn't capitalize on the influx of um, new members. Their servers trashed. I heard it never really got working for a lot of people. And over time, that's just going to frustrate people and people are going to just give up on it. And um and then it going to be a pay site eventually would I think would have killed it anyways. Yeah, no, I agree. And the funny thing is, I think they've been an app for like three years already. Mm-hmm. It's like, how did it even? How did, Where was this? Like, how come no one knew about it? Was it a Kardashian or someone pointed this out? That's what I heard. <laughs> and is it just a really? stupid rumor? Yeah. yeah, there was something about <laughs> one of the Kardashians made a tweet that cost a company like a billion dollars or something like that. Oh, that was uh, Snapchat, actually. Oh, that yeah. was Snapchat. Okay. Yeah, Kylie Jenner said she didn't like Snapchat's new aesthetics, and a bunch of mm. blogs and reports just released a bunch of uh, hyperbole, basically, that she's getting Snapchat shut down because everybody oh, is overly influenced by her. It's ridiculous. That is insane. <laughs> people care way too much about people that are not important. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but Gary, it's the Kardashians. No. No. All right, so let's talk let's talk about the other thing that came out, came out. So, um Super Plastic Toys is also, so it's ran by Paul Buznitz who was um the founder mm-hmm. of Kid Robot and Huck G and now, so they have a countdown on their website. It's going to count. It's counting down until May, and we finally, I think, we finally know what their first release in May is going to be. And it's called Janky Toys, and it looks like it's um, a platform toy. It looks like it's definitely a Huck design, maybe a raccoon or type character or something like that. It looks like uh, a cross between um, Huck G's Blank and like his uh, Mighty Jacks Gold Life figures. Um, and so they revealed 17 names, but they were all jumbled up in anagram form. So on Tuesday, I know a lot of us were trying to move letters around and figure things out. And so that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed those type of games. So their marketing so far has been a lot of fun. Um, and I'm really in- enjoying and looking forward to what they're going to have in- coming out. Yeah, no. I, so they've been ha- I think they've been doing some really fun things, like slowly revealing and releasing this platform. Because, you know, they did the little the random countdown clock on the site and now they're doing these word jumbles and of course I'm a nerd and I love that kind of stuff. So yeah, I got super into it and was like hardcore focusing. I was researching and Googling artist names and coming back and comparing to the jumbles, but I was pretty proud. I, I got a handful of them. I mean, I got a, mm-hmm. like half the list. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a super fun way to kind of, leak some stuff without fully just leaking a list and making it a little more fun, but um, are you all here crunching? <laughs> what is crunching? I don't know, dude. I've given up. I, I can't complain. I get yelled at if I complain. Yeah, I'm not even it's moving. It's not me. Robert, are you eating cookies now? No, I'm not even moving. 
Wait, wait, that's none of us? Who's doing that? Is it the I, connection? I you can't think even Skype hear crunching. You all don't hear? It has got to be you, Robert. <laughs> You're not hearing it. <laughs> I mean, in that sense of process of elimination, perhaps, but... <laughs> <laughs> It's I fine. swear, you all, I wasn't eating cookies. I'm not touching them. I, I'm being good, and I will not eat anymore until after we're done. <laughs> but anyway. I'm still, I'm still hearing the, like, mm, mm, of the phone. Some of these crunching Girl Scout cookies on the other side. Like That's still oh, my gosh. goddamn phone going off. This is a nightmare. This is. I, I, Robert, I, I, I have a question. You said the you... thing was going to be called Janky Toys? Yeah. 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 Do, do they know that there's already a guy named Janky Toys who makes toys? I I don't really? know if they know that. Yeah. That sucks that they're taking somebody else's name. Well, it's not the it's not the brand of the toy. It's 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 not the brand name like the company name. It's just the it's the figure itself called Janky. Yeah, that still sucks. Yeah. Somebody's already using it. Right. So the reason this all started actually is that what, what's going on right now is they're actually doing a giveaway. So if you go and sign up for their email list to be alerted for more details about the upcoming release, then um, of those that sign up, they're going to give away a hundred of the what is it? The f- initial release, Gary? Yeah, the the initial release. Uh, I think it was a hundred pieces signed and numbered. And it's if you go to superplastic.co, that's where you can sign up for it. Yeah. So if you go to the website right now, there's an email form. You can sign up, and then you get entered for a chance to win. But, yeah, they say on it, sign up to win one of 100 signed and numbered launch edition janky toys. So, I mean, they're calling it that, George. Now, here's the thing. Do you guys know what janky, the definition of janky is? Usually it means, like, not good, right? Like, messed up? The definition is of extremely poor or or unreliable quality. So that's yeah. that's a strange thing to name your toy, I guess, but I don't it think, is. you know, maybe not to look into into it that literally, I guess. But um I really enjoyed yeah. the marketing campaign and that was one thing that I was excited about Paul Budnitz being a part of this company because I know he's he's great at that just that guerrilla marketing. He's just he's very smart in those regards and I think so far they've done a great job with the rollout and, and keeping things secret, but fun at the same time. And I don't know. Do, yeah. Do we want to name who we know is part of this series so far? Or is, is that, is, is that being a spoiler alert? Yeah. You know, someone's, you know, someone's in this already. Yeah. We've done, we've unscrambled some other riddles. Yeah. We've unscrambled a bunch of the anagrams. Um, so George, wanna, basically they, they showed us 17 names, but they are all anagrams. Um, so we all spent, you know, I probably spent three hours, honestly, just lying in my deathbed on, on Tuesday trying to solve these things. And um, where did you see these names? Where was this? Okay. Yes. If you go, if you go to the superplastic.co website after when you click the, uh, like on the first page, it has a hundred sign and numbered underlined. It's a link. And if you click it, then it reveals a list of names. Oh, but like yeah. Gary's, uh, Gary's saying it's scrambled. It's like jumbles. Yeah. Um, and so what we were doing is like trying to figure out what they mean. And so they've got 17 names and then they actually have two that are just question marks. 
Um, but yeah, so like, I don't know, we could talk about a few of them. I mean, spoiler alert, if you're, if you're still trying to solve some, but I know one I was excited about that we unscrambled is Dolly Oblong. Um, so she's apparently in there as well as I saw her poor name, Booby Ao Yang for from who designs treason. I am so sorry about <laughs> your name and pr- <laughs> pronouncing it terribly. But um, those are two I was personally excited about because I like their artwork as is. So I'm hoping there'll be some cute stuff coming from them. Uh, what do you, you, Gary, of all the ones unscrambled, what, what was your favorite um, in the mix? You know, there are some interesting ones that came out of it because I was surprised to see Pete Fowler's name in there because honestly, I thought he was kind of done with toys after with what happened with dude box several years back. So, um, good to see that he's, you know, willing to design toys again. Uh, another name that I saw on the list that I was surprised by was it, 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 it jumbled up. It looks like it's going to be gorillas. And if that's the case, it's Jamie Hewlett. And that's a name that I never thought I would see in a multi-artist series. So that's one's really exciting. Dalek doing toys again is pretty awesome. So a lot of the ones that we saw, I'll just go through the list. Hucky, Booby Eye Young, Dalek, Pete Fowler, Joe Ledbetter, Junko Mizuno, Paul Budnitz, Camila D'Errico, Mick Bess, Gorillas, Dolly Oblong, and El Gran Chamaco, and EPHK. And there's still, I think, four that we haven't solved for. So that that is an amazing list right there. Did you say Chamaco? It's it's an artist named Gran Chamaco on Instagram. Uh, so it has no relation to the very popular <laughs> dog of a similar name. <laughs> uh, and George, okay, so I won't lie. When I did the exact same thing, I was like, "That makes no sense. Why would why would Carlos's dog be in this series?" <laughs> and then Several I months back, we Go were ahead. playing the game of who would you like to see in a future Dunny series, or something along those lines. And on my list was Gran Chamaco. And I think back then, Teresa, you. You didn't question it. You just thought I was talking about Carlos's dog being in my Dunning series. I, yeah, I was, I literally, when you said Chamaco, I thought, okay, that's weird. Maybe he means Beast Brothers <laughs> Carlos, but he's saying Chamaco, but that's a dog. But I was like, all right. So I think on the podcast, I just rolled with it. It was like, oh, okay, cool. Nice pick. <laughs> but now I know. And actually, if you look, um, up Grand Chimaco on Instagram. Their stuff is awesome. Yeah. They have a lot of really cool 3D animations and designs, and I'm digging it. So yeah. that was an artist that was new I, that I wasn't familiar with in this list. But once you filled me in on the actual Chimaco we were talking about, uh, yeah, that one's really cool. And I'm I'm really curious what the other. Well, there's four to still unscramble and two question mark ones remaining so yeah i'll be interested to see who the last few are that are gonna fill so, out this list if anybody knows who mr elk gingham or val cardiac roar or crafty odanish or q ray jet bead are let us know because we want to know but yeah i i don't know i'm excited i'm always up for more toys so i think it's been Fun watching all the little spoilers and uh, the what is it that there is a date finally announced? This the countdown on the super plastic site runs down to Monday, May 14th. So it sounds like that'll be the uh official day, which 
you know, we, I know we are talking five points is beginning of June. So I've got this sneaky suspicion that this is going to get revealed and might be something that we see released at five points. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I feel like super plastic and these releases will definitely be there for sure. All right, let's take a break and mention some of our awesome sponsors. If you're looking for some designer toys to purchase, we've got some great stores for you. Check out 3dretro.com and strangecattoys.com. If you go to Strange Cat Toys, you'll receive 10% off if you use promo code DOPE at checkout. Um, And if you're looking for some awesome designer toy news, we've got two awesome blogs to check out, spankystokes.com and thetoychronicle.com. And uh, Toy Chronicle also has a sweet app, so search Toy Chronicle on the Apple Store or Google Play uh, and give that a download. Well done. You're killing it, Teresa. Now, let's let's get talking to Robert. Yes. So, Fubi. So, Robert, us poor Sofubi noobs, we need help. (laughs) (laughs) I will do my best to throw the anchor. Yeah, but, you know, I think the first thing, you know... I think the uh, custom show you all are doing uh, this Mm. weekend sounds really, really cool. And, you know, one of the things that I've always been curious of is, like, when people customize toys, it seems like there's lots of different approaches. But it seems like in the Sofubi world that there's there's specific approaches either preferred or sort of, uh, I guess, recommended to kind of keep Sofubi, like, keep the aesthetic and the history like accurate, I guess for, for lack of a better word. So mm-hmm. is there like a, like how do people tend to approach Sufubi customs? Is there like a specific way people prefer them to be done? It really does come down to a lot of specific uh, preferences. There is a very grand total of collectors that generally like to keep it uh, what I would consider traditional where it's uh, generally airbrushed um historically they've been airbrushed so a lot of toys that uh get painted uh as far as sofa b goes are generally airbrushed where also small details like fingernails or teeth or eyes will be uh painted with or dabbed with uh dry brushes and things like that um however lately especially with the boom in both interest and production over the last couple of years, a lot of artists from multiple and various backgrounds in art have been kind of uh, treating the medium as experimental as where, you know, when James Groman started getting into Japanese uh, vinyl with the rotten Rex or even the uh, cure toys, brain bug boogeyman, he was generally just dry brushing. Uh, as he's accustomed to that through his history with things like model kits and stuff like that. So uh, other artists have also been getting pretty wild with different types of techniques, different washes, different types of paint. Uh, I mean, I've seen people that have been using uh, acrylic paints, uh, even spray paints, you know, just a lot of heavy, wide spray directionals and things like that. But traditionally... And more oftentimes than not, it is preferred that it is stuck to the airbrush method. And a lot of artists uh, nowadays that are extremely well-seasoned within that form uh, have been doing some pretty phenomenal and uh, pretty eye-opening techniques and and, uh, 
applications with airbrushes. So I think people are trying to hone in on the traditional airbrushing a little more as of late uh, with the newcomers, but it also still has been getting pretty experimental. Hmm. So is, is airbrushing, so from like a historical standpoint, it's traditionally airbrushed, but is it also like, so FUBI as a material, is airbrush the best medium to customize as well? Like, I assume there's like certain no-nos like of how to apply stuff. Like you probably shouldn't just take acrylics to it or you could, it's just, it's not traditional to do it that way. I think generally anything can be applied uh, to SoFubi as far as uh, an artistic form, sans things like, you know, crayons or colored pencils or something. But yeah. ge generally any form of paint uh, seems to work relatively well, whether it's, you know, acrylics or airbrushing or spray paint. And it can just be finished off with clear coating. Um, if somebody knows what they're doing with clear coat, of course, it's a very finicky material. If you don't apply it right, it gets very sticky and it's very temperamental. Uh, sometimes it'll cause paint to run. But generally, every form of paint that I have seen used on Sofavi so far uh, whether it's airbrush specific or even car paints, you know, something that somebody would use in a, a car factory, that also gets used as well. Um, but people have also been experimenting with different types of clear coats and finishes to conceal the paint onto the figure. As far as I'm known, there isn't a specific type of paint or anything that adheres to sofa b figures i do know that japanese paints like fok or v color are a little more catered uh production wise to work well with uh sofa b figures in that particular material so i know those are uh heavily preferred and generally looked at as like standards um unfortunately it's relatively difficult to get them into the states because of chemical restrictions uh for what is in the paints so you can't have them flown over you usually have uh, to have them boated over which is very expensive and very lengthy in time when someone does a custom is it beneficial to them to specify how they painted it whether it was monster color or recolor does that change the collector mindset at all uh, not that I'm aware of, but it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, I do know that there are uh, certain collectors that I've met personally that for, um, you know, they have a very, very sharp eye for aesthetics. So they will see the differences versus something like V color versus FOK versus monster color. So some collectors that I know very much appreciate and like the monster color aesthetic with their metallics or even some of their flat paints, but then, you know, FOK or V color have different consistencies or they have different results. It also really depends on the artist themselves and how they mix the paint, because there's also a very um, generally a specific way that each artist ratios the way their paint is put into the airbrush. Um, you know, cause there's a chemical mixture that you would have to do with a, uh, a thinner. Cause if you just put straight FOK or V color into an airbrush, it'll just clog it. So you right. also have to mix it with a thinner so that it consistently sprays through 
and every artist has their own ratio for how they do that as well. Okay. Man, sounds so particular. Like you have to really yeah. know your stuff, right? Like you have to really know what you're doing. Like I feel like if I was like, not that I'm a great example, but like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know, Gary, George, I mean, you maybe have a little more experience, but doesn't this sound like very specific and particular, both from a like accuracy perspective, if you're trying to honor the historical approach as well as just in general how to approach this, it seems like it's it's difficult. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm no expert. I I don't I'm not sure that I ever really customized Sofubi. Um, but yeah, I mean, just customizing in general is difficult. It, there's a definite learning curve to it. We've all used a primer that didn't work, or used a paint that ran or didn't dry, or a clear coat that remained tacky and never cured fully. I mean, there's a lot of different learning curves to the, you know, being a customizer. That's something you just learn over time, like what works best for you and what chemicals work best for painting a, an oil-based platform, which is vinyl. It's just something you learn over time. And, uh, and Bennett, I can't swallow. <laughs> Carrie. Oh, sorry. I'm done with I'm done. <laughs> no more talking. For Gary, you're not gonna throw up, are you? Oh no, I'm not gonna throw up at all. It's just my my throat, my throat no, my throat is like sandpaper right now. It's just painful. Um <clears throat> but Robert, I do have one more question for you. So like history speaking wise of Sofubi, I mean I I don't. I know that you know the worlds of like urban vinyl toys and Sofubi toys. There's like two different worlds almost, but they kind of fall under the same umbrella of designer toys or art objects or whatever people want to call them. But I don't know that they necessarily have the same history. I know that as far as urban vinyl toys mm-hmm. go, that um, Michael Lau and Eric So are credited for being the pioneers in the late '90s for their designs and doing designer toys. And and I think it was Bounty Hunter in the late '90s as well. For, you know, for on the Japanese side. Um, so did they have the same historical paths? Or you know, being late '90s, uh, give or take. Generally, um, I mean. Soft vinyl toys, Sofa B has existed before Bounty Hunter had really jumped into the designer aspect of it. Um, a lot of Japanese toys were made uh, in the early 1900s. There is a uh, factory uh, called uh, the Kamijo Mold Factory, and they've been in business since 1907. Uh, originally starting out, they were making fish tackles out of celluloid uh, sheets through blow molds but once toy production started becoming uh, more of a prevalent uh, subculture for children in Japan where they began with it I'm not exactly sure but they did start with the liquid soft vinyl in uh, original clamp molds where two pieces of the mold would clamp together and screw tight and they would pour the mold uh, excuse me they would pour the mold with liquid vinyl and place it inside of an oven almost in a traditional baking sense and let the vinyl cook or harden from the outside in. Um, Over time, it transitioned into more of the process of what's known today. Uh, You can look up videos on YouTube for current Japanese um, Sofobi factories and see a little bit of the process. They do tend to keep things pretty close to the chest and they don't generally let too many people have inside peaks so you don't get too much detail but you can find some some pretty good uh detailed videos robert when you say like moving into like what is now what 
the more common sense. You're referring to slush casting? Yes. Uh, the slush casting that's, you know, you'll have a square mold with X amount of pieces of the toy on it, and each one gets filled individually with the liquid vinyl, which is then dipped into a chemical bath that is called toric. Um, the boiling temperature escapes me, but I believe it's somewhere around the 450 degree mark. And um, so, you know, it's an entirely different process than what was traditionally used in the early days where it was placed inside of an oven and left to cook on a timer. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. So going back to the history for one second, Robert. So when I think of like Sufubi toys, you always think of like, I don't know, you know, Japanese toys, you think of QP or Godzilla toys or just mm-hmm. crazy kaiju toys, but those are all factory and, you know, not much designer behind it. And I think when I think of Western artists doing, it, I always think of Tim Biscop, but the, the first, like, actually Japanese designer toy, that was Bounty Hunter, yeah? Uh, as far as Japanese designer toys go, uh, Bounty Hunter is arguably the first ones that did it. Uh, okay. They had originally started uh, as a clothing company that sort of um, idolized American culture. And they had a shop that was clothing store, but they had a big case of American toys like G.I. Joe and Transformer and things like that. And uh, they essentially decided to one day create a physical toy of their character called the Kid Hunter. And that was in 1997. And to most, uh, it's kind of arguable that that was considered the first designer vinyl toy that ever existed. Okay. But that that was a Sofumi toy, huh? Uh, It was a soft vinyl toy, but at the time in the 90s, it was produced in uh, China. A lot of the early Bounty Hunter toys were produced in soft vinyl in China. Um, It wasn't until a little bit later into their existence that they began moving uh, production into Japan. Um, As far as I know, one of the also earlier figures that was produced in Japan was called a fight figure, and it was by an artist named Take Shit. And he produced, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he plays, he plays bass in a a prog metal band called Coco Bat. And, um, he's like a, an amateur cage fighter as well as a toy collector. So he wanted something that was representative of the, um, rat fink by Big Daddy Ed Roth, but that could also rival Mickey Mouse because he hated Mickey Mouse. So he created this character called the Fink Shit, which is kind of like this rat Fink looking character that wears sunglasses but wears boxing gloves. And that figure itself was produced in Japan, uh, Japanese soft vinyl, right around the same time of 97, maybe 98, as Bounty Hunter did. Wow. Okay, Robert, I'm going to get sangry here. This whole thing going on with Sofubi, soft vinyl... I, I find it personally. I find it personally confusing. We had Josh Kimberg on several episodes, mm-hmm. and he was telling us, "Sofubi and soft vinyl—they're not, you know, they're not synonyms." But the, you know, the actual definition of sofubi is soft vinyl. So it's like, yeah, it is synonyms. But confusing. So okay, yeah. so what is produced out of Japan? We call it sofubi. If yeah. it's of a similar material look and feel but produced in china 
we're calling that soft vinyl. Mm-hmm. But so, we don't we don't call we don't call Sufubi soft vinyl. Like it's yeah. I don't know where you know when to say it and when not to say it. I I think it becomes confusing because it was never essentially an issue uh, until a lot of the Chinese artists that have arisen over the last two or three years uh, began dipping into the foray. Right. Um, my personal take is that Sofobi, while literally translated to soft vinyl from Japanese, is also kind of like a label. It's like a, a trademark in a sense where Sofobi not only translates to soft vinyl, but it is specifically Japanese soft vinyl. So that's where the differentiation uh, with the uh, Chinese material is just soft vinyl. So they are both soft vinyl, but they're different types where uh, the Japanese production is one done slightly differently, but they also have a different uh, chemical mixture and compound in the way it's done uh, as where, you know, the, the Chinese production also has its own method. It's similar in ways but it's also not exactly the same. It's basically, in a way, it's kind of like Coke and Pepsi, where they're both sodas, they're both presented the same way, both kind of marketed the same way, and they have that umbrella label of being soda, but they're two different flavors, two different companies. Right. Hmm. That's, a good way. That's a good way of putting it. It's all making sense, Gary. <laughs> Is it, Teresa? I... Is it? I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Be all sangry with me. I'm getting it. <laughs> George, do you I get think... it? Sure. How, <laughs> <laughs> George? Well, you know, I think you know. Okay, so like, I'm. I I feel like I get it. I get it. They're both soft vinyl, but I get it. The Coke Pepsi analogy, all of that. So, what I want to understand is, you know, for me as a collector. That was never like, you know, I heard these terms or whatever, but I was just, mm-hmm. you know, I bought the thing because it was cute or whatever. But for those that are really into Sufubi, do they tend to be purist in the sense that they very much so avoid soft vinyl from China and they only seek the Japanese method, like the Japanese mm-hmm. true Sufubi figures? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I, I do find that divide to be a bit strange i understand the idea of strictly having preference but i have spoken with collectors and even artists themselves that just refuse to dip into the chinese aspect of it without even any real logic other than it's not the japanese method i do understand that people have their preferences but sometimes people just don't even look into it there's just that purest attitude and i generally tend to shy away from that period i'm not a fan of that at all but i have no contention with admitting in my personal opinion that the process in which the japanese vinyl is um brought over in liquid form the way that they uh produce their methods uh the way the final product comes out uh the time and attention and care that gets done with it, in my opinion, is vastly superior, uh, strictly because I have gotten into the factory, I have had my hands on with it. With the Chinese production, while it's not at all bad, it's done a lot more in a, a streamlined sense of mass production, so they just get it done and over with as fast as possible. And sometimes the pulls 
aren't the greatest. Sometimes they're thinner. Sometimes they're too heavy. Sometimes there's air bubbles. And uh, that generally gets overlooked as where the Japanese production is a lot more tight-knit. It's a lot more anal retentive. And there's a lot more uh, detail and process and overlooking and making making sure everything is perfect. And, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll throw out bad pulls. They won't even let it get into an artist or a customer's hand. Hmm. Which is cool. So, like, you feel like people like that more hands-on detail aspect. It reminds me kind of of, like, coarse toys for lack of a another example but like i know they're very much known for their quality control and attention to detail it sounds like that might be what people are adhering to in the sophie world they like knowing that people really care about the process and the way it's made and and all of that yeah and i mean i i think that kind of resonates with collectors of anything in general you know even translating into something like the fine art world there are some artists that have kind of like um, a master plan of a canvas laid out and they'll have several people painting different parts of the canvas as some collectors don't like that versus having just that one artist paint the whole canvas themselves. And that kind of, I think that translates very much into the toy collecting uh, as where you, you've got two people working in a factory pouring and pulling these toys. And then you have a single artist painting these toys versus, you know, a streamlined factory sense of um, certain figures that just get handed from one person to the next until the figure finishes completion. Uh, There's even some collectors that don't do pre-orders because it's not coming straight from the artist. It's coming from a factory who got a master from the artist. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I think think it's hard for me because I get... I, I agree with you, Robert. I think from a collector standpoint, we all care about quality to some degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think some of us vary. Like, I know I apparently am very nitpicky. I care about seam lines and everything you're talking about, bubbles and all of that. So, like, that's already something in the back of my mind. Um, but for me personally, as long as it's really good quality, I, I don't really even necessarily know sometimes or I'm looking into the particular way it was made. I just want to get a really good quality toy that speaks to me. Um, so it's just intriguing that in the Sofubi world, it seems like there's, there's that plus more. It's like it, they want the quality, but they also really like knowing that it was made that very specific way. Yeah. Right. And so for Sofubi collectors, it's really important to have the Japan stamped on the bottom of the toy, right? If it's not there, then don't bother. Uh, generally, yeah. And there's it's there's so many sub facets of collectors where some people literally just want something cool, so they don't care where it's made. And then there's some people who will make the exception if something is cool enough for them. And then there's some people that are just purists, again, which I shy away from. And yeah. But then again, there's also some people that aren't necessarily purists, but they just have a, a specific taste and they like to stick to that particular medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like, Robert, that there's like any bad Sofubi out there? Like, are there any people who are not doing it well? Like, or is, you know, what I mean? I'm not trying to say there should be, but like, is, is there like, or is all Sofubi considered to be so well done because of this process they have to follow? Uh, I think the processes themselves have been um, 
pretty up to snuff. I, you know, the Japanese factories and even the Chinese factories for what they're doing. The factories themselves are doing great. You know, they take a lot of pride in what they do, and virtually nothing gets skated by or anything. However, I definitely do feel like there are a lot of uh, artists, and I use that term loosely, that have been oversaturating a lot of the market where not to necessarily shit on anyone but (laughs) just because you can make it a toy doesn't mean it should be a toy or needs to be a toy and sometimes people will get into making toys for the wrong reason where they think they're just going to bank off of you know people buying this stuff up and then they get all these production pieces done and there are thousands in the hole and people end up not liking it and I, I generally feel like you can decipher the difference between somebody who is creating to genuinely get their vision out there versus someone who is just derivative and contrived and just putting something out there for the sake of putting it out there. And I, I do think that happens a lot more um, lately than it should. But again, that's also strictly subjective. What, what I would find detestable, somebody else could have. 50 of them on their shelves you know what I mean so it's a very it's a very open-ended question and you're going to garnish a ton of different answers and results yeah I feel like though George you're like sitting there going here here like (laughs) (laughs) like I feel like most of this stuff no but George like you I feel like you are totally on the same page if you feel like there's people out there making toys just to make a toy there's really not Oh, that part of it? Yeah, sure. There's yeah. definitely people that are just putting out their thing because they think it's the greatest thing. But, I mean, that's, again, like you said, that's subjective. That's, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know. I, that part of it, you know, sure, I'll, I'll argue that all day long, how much of this stuff actually <laughs> needs to be made. Yeah. But the, the part, a... like, you know, a Japanese factory being better or worse than another factory, it's like, each factory is subjective. I've definitely seen plenty of Japanese vinyl that's come out with air bubbles. You know, I've seen China stuff that's beautiful. So it's like, it depends on where you go. It depends on the quality control you're having over the piece. There's a lot of things like that. So that's also it's, very true. it's definitely like subjective from factory to factory. And there's, I mean, there's one thing that I've noticed with a lot of these Japanese vinyl toys that like, the engineering is not really there. There's nobody really overseeing any kind of engineering to make these things kind of work correctly. As far as like where, when you go to China, there's like engineers working on making sure that, you know, articulation is correct and tight and perfect. And so it's just, it all depends on the kind of toy you're trying to make. And like, as far as people who buy only one kind or another, it's just like, you should just buy what look what you like. Like, don't worry about where it's made. Like, just buy yeah. what you think is cool. Like, you're only going to have one anyway. Who cares if there's 10 or 100? Like, <laughs> who cares? There's just buy the one you like. Everybody yeah. needs to loosen up about their buying habits. <laughs> I think having the yeah. divide to an extent is good because it creates a dialogue and it, it creates um, – a sort of a conversation to be had. What I don't agree with is where it creates the divide where, you know, I can sit with somebody and say, I buy these in Japanese vinyl. And they say, well, I buy these in Chinese vinyl and we can discuss why we do prefer or don't prefer over one or the other versus just some person who's being an ass and says, well, I don't buy the Chinese stuff because it's trash or I don't buy the Japanese stuff because it's elitist, you know, 
I, I don't enjoy the divide, but I do enjoy the conversation that it does spark. Yeah. I, I love there's those couple companies out there like it's Japanese vinyl, but we make it in China. Like they bring Japanese vinyl <laughs> over to China. It's like, now what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Now nobody buys your garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, Robert, do we even know, like, like, are Sofubi factories, like, the number of them pretty limited? Like, are there not that many of them? Extremely limited. Um, the okay. last time that I checked, there's four. Wow. Yeah. And they're uh, employed by no more than four people. Actually, that's not true. There is one factory uh, that does a lot of major production, uh, but they are incredibly expensive and they do have a very uh, streamlined employee base, but their methods are no different than the other factories who only have, you know, one or two people behind the helm. Is that Obitsu? That is definitely Obitsu. Okay. Now, when we're talking with Sufubi, I think probably more than any other material, it seems like Sufubi definitely has a, a reputation. You might even say like a stereotype for being, you know, it just seems like it's categorized as it's the material used for the super crazy and the weird and the, the grotesque and mm-hmm. the monsters and the kaijus and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know that's, that's an fair assessment because the medium is actually used for to produce a wide variety of different subgenres of toys. I just, you know, it goes from, you know, definitely the, the you know, creepy monster stuff, but down to what Teresa collects, the super cute and very simple, um, not very detailed. Um, how much does that play into the minds of, like, the hardcore Sofubi collectors? Do they collect the, you know, the cute stuff as well? It does. Um, it's It's kind of a weird one to dip into. It's almost like classifying multiple versions of music where you know you've got this umbrella term of heavy metal but then you have all these subgenres of you know black metal and ambient metal and you know etc etc it's kind of the same thing uh kaiju literally translates in japanese to monster so typically monster toys are labeled as kaiju you know, old older companies like Bandai or Bullmark or M1 Go, where they traditionally make uh, monsters based on intellectual properties like Godzilla or Ultraman or Gamera. Uh, you know, those are clearly classified as kaiju. But then you have a lot of current toys, even the cutesy ones, where it's like Uamu or Chima Group, where they're just generally labeled as a Sofubi toy because it's not that monster class necessarily. Yeah. But it's, is that monster Kaiju theme. Like it seems like that's still pretty predominant. Like is the cute, do people who collect Sofubi as more of those, like I really want stuff made from Japan when they see the cute stuff, do they think, Oh, that's not really true. Sofubi because it's not following that sort of Kaiju monster theme that seems to be, pretty embedded in the Sofubi world? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think the term uh, Sofubi is just generally blanketed for any toys that are produced in soft vinyl out of Japan as where, you know, the monsters themselves, that's the specific classification. So it's kind of like everything is Sofubi that comes out of Japan that's soft vinyl, but the monsters themselves are specifically 
kaiju. Gotcha. Do you feel like that that like of all the different aesthetics out there in Sofubi, do you feel like the the kaiju aesthetic is kind of the predominant one, or is there more? Because because again, like I know when Gary and I kind of tend to think Sofubi in a large sense, a lot of times we think more grotesque, like mm-hmm. creatures or monsters or like rotting babies or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it seems like that's kind of the predominant majority. And then there's the cute stuff, but it seems like that's kind of a smaller piece of the pie. Am I understanding that correctly? Or am I just like not seeing the whole picture? It's honestly, it's, it's very much uh, not seeing the whole picture. Um, there are a lot of companies that fly under the radar uh, with a lot of collectors, um, a lot of the stuff that has been grotesque and a lot more uh, gross out and rotting and zombieish and things like that, these are a lot of artists and companies and makers that are kind of at the helm and they have a very okay. strong presence uh, with a lot of, especially with a lot of newer collectors and with the attention of newer collectors, it just starts to spread more and more. But there are a lot of um, older companies that have been around for a long time. Buddha Nohana, Bullmark, Caractix, Amapro, uh, Dehara, Elegab, even companies like Realhead, you know, Gargamel. These companies have been around for a long time, but with this type of toys that they produce, they're a lot more traditional-based, monster-based, uh, simpler sprays and things like that usually also only released in Japan. So the fan base also isn't quite as wide, but they do have their own existing fan bases. And those type of companies are the majority, but they're like a hidden majority because the, what I guess would be considered mainstream eyes aren't quite looking at those because they're more gravitated towards the rotting the grotesque and you know or even just the newer artists that have been coming out as of late yeah well and that's a good point too because i mean we're only seeing a lot of what's put in front of us either the stuff that we're able to obtain or the stuff that is coming over here to buy either at a convention or you know a gallery event or what have you so it's it is intriguing to think yeah so like it it does make sense that there could definitely be more going on that we just truly don't know about but Mm -hmm. it's good to know that like the cute stuff isn't really considered like shunned or anything like that because i do think that yeah because i you know obviously i do have you know that that that's kind of my realm i guess in the sofubi world is obviously the Mm -hmm. the cuter stuff you've mentioned so yeah i mean you know you guys have had Catherine park on before and yeah she has an immense Uwamu collection and Uwamu, you know, Ayako's aesthetic is very cutesy. It's very soft. It's very playful. And all of her toys are, are, you know, produced out of Japan. So there is a very extensive market for every single facet, every single, you know, aesthetic and subgenre of what exists out there. It just depends on how much you look into it. You know, I could give you a list of names that I guarantee you, you've never heard of, but they've all, these companies have 20 plus toys made over, you know, the last decade or longer. That's intriguing to me because I'm always interested to learn more about stuff I haven't heard of. So like Mm -hmm. for those of us who don't realize that there are companies out there, to your point, under the radar, producing lots of stuff that we might be into, how do we find them how do we learn more about them 
I mean, that's a lot of Googling. Um, <laughs> it's, it's also kind of difficult because even if you just got into Google and type something like, you know, Japanese sofa bee toys, you would get a lot of the stuff that's been coming out now because Google gives you a lot of recent results. So I guess a, a, a pretty decent way to get into it is to look up uh, vintage kaiju toys. You'll probably find a lot of, you know, older stuff from companies like Marusan or uh, Pilot Ace, and even stuff like Nostalgic Heroes, you know. So you will find older figures from older companies, but it kind of just gets mixed in the foray with a lot of what's been coming out as of late. You know, Teresa, I live here in, in Phoenix, and Lulubel Toys, they're my local store. I mean, they're about 45 minutes away, but they do this thing every month. It's called the Sofubi Social. And that's where like a lot of the collectors come in and they'll they'll put what they're proud of or a recent pickup and they'll you know they'll display it on the table and you know they'll um, the collectors will you know talk about the toys and and that's something I, I haven't taken advantage of I I think I did it um, one time last year and when there was a show called um, Ichi in town that was the first time I ever saw the Sufubi Social and it was really cool so I, I feel terrible that I have this great resource right around the corner from me. And I haven't been able to take advantage of it because Lulubel Toy Bodega, they really are like probably the U.S. market's best resource for this kind of stuff. And I just, yeah. I, I, I don't get over there enough to build up this knowledge. Yeah, it sounds like you need to go because like that, it sounds like that's almost part of the way that you can learn is just from stuff other people find, which is what, why Instagram great is great and the community is great because you might see someone post something and then you're like, oh my God, I've never seen that. What is that? And you can learn. So yeah, it sounds like that event would be a really cool way to, to just learn and see new things. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of really, jealous. Yeah, that's that's really is what it is about. Uh, the handfuls that we have had, it's multiple collectors having multiple tastes you know some people will bring in vintage some people will bring in current uh some people will bring in the grotesque and the the rotting and but then you know there's still a lot of companies that are uh current today that keep with uh what's considered a traditional kaiju aesthetic so they're newer artists but they're still producing things that you would likely see you know in the 70s and 80s within this collecting realm so it's a really good way to have people coming in and seeing a ton of different stuff. And then you talk to each other about a bunch of different artists. And it's a really great way to expose everyone to something different. Yeah. That's so cool. If you, okay, so Robert, you know, I like cute stuff. So mm-hmm. if you could think of one Sofubi artist that's under the radar, but you think they have stuff that I would like squee like crazy over. Who would you recommend I try to look up and find? I would have recommended Sun Guts, but you have talked about them recently since you <laughs> saw him at Five Points last year. Yes. And yeah. can I share? The Baby Shark Hunt has officially ended. I have one. <laughs> you got one? Yay! Wow. Congratulations. I got one. I, I sadly had to got, get it off eBay, but I... I liked the colorway. It wasn't that much more. I don't know how much they even retail, but it didn't like seem like that much. And I said, screw it. And I went for it. I actually uh, just got it the other day. So I wow. do, I do, you know, Sun Guts is one of those things that, yeah, I'm, 
bummed that I didn't realize what they were at five points, but since then I kind of been following them. So yeah, yeah. I mean, a couple others I would probably recommend is um, Comet Debris. Uh, it's C O M E T D E B R I S. This guy Koji, he makes a lot of cuter figures like the Oni and the Kappa and things like that, but he's got a very smooth uh, kind of cutesy aesthetic. A lot of his toys kind of remind me of traditional QB dolls uh, with their own stance and things like that. And he's uh, he's an older punk rock uh, skater dude, so he's, you know, tiny bit of attitude in his toys, but they're I think they probably appeal to you pretty heavily. Yeah, I think I'm familiar with Comet Debris. We've looked at those, right, Gary? Yeah. You own a few. Perfect. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. At Decon, I bought my first Comet Debris figure. It's the the Nike Boy, yeah. <laughs> for go. lack of a better word, Oni Kid. Oh, yeah, I have one of those. Yeah, so that that was a newer one. Um, I think I found out last year about two. So so good. Maybe I am better off than I realized. Maybe I know some things out there that I didn't realize. So um, Robert, let's talk about your good friend Connell Little, aka Funcy. He's the guy who's yes. curating the the painter show this weekend at Lulabelle. What can you tell us about Connell? Because he, he's an interesting guy. I've I've been following his Instagram account for quite a while, and I gotta tell you, man, he's his collection is huge. <laughs> but even though as big as his collection of it is, it's I don't really know what a lot of it is. It's very foreign to me, most of it. Um, but with that being said, it's, it looks like a very diverse collection. It looks like he's into a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that he and I collect would have any matching pieces in our collections. I don't know. But anyways, what can you tell us about Connell? Uh, Connell is very longstanding. Uh, he's been involved for quite some time, uh, before he moved to Mesa and got involved with uh, Lulu Bell about four or five years ago, he had actually lived in Los Angeles for, boy, I think 50 some odd years. And uh, he worked at Toy Art Gallery on Melrose uh, in Los Angeles. Yep. And that is how I met him. Uh, he also helped curate and set up a lot of the shows that came out of TAG. So, He's had a very, very large involvement in this scene, and he's uh, very well known for a lot of very good reasons. And his collection is incredibly vast. It's very diverse. He doesn't at all stick to one thing. He very much goes by the mantra that uh, George really likes to put out, that he literally just collects what he likes and really doesn't care what anyone else has to say. Um, because his collection is so vast, there is a chance that you may or may not share something, um, in the collections. He's also a very, very big fan of resin and he has an ungodly amount of, uh, resin figures that, uh, either haven't been photographed or they currently are not on display and he's still taking them out and putting them on shelves. So, um, Connell's also very well versed in the fine art world. I can't delve too much into that because I know absolutely nothing about it. But he <laughs> he has sat me down and talked with me about facets of it. And a lot of it relates very heavily to the toy world, especially in gallery settings and a lot of artist and collector mindsets. So he's extremely knowledgeable on various fronts. And uh, he's also very artistically inclined. He had his own show uh, not too long ago 
uh, at Lulu Bell, and some of his pieces are still on display here in the shop that people can come and take a look at themselves. So very interesting man, very interesting individual. He's incredibly active, um, knows a ton. And I mean, he's got stories on top of stories just between toys and life in general. And he's a fantastic character to sit down and have a discussion with. That's awesome. I've never had the pleasure of meeting Connell. Of course, I've seen him at, you know, conventions over the past 10 years or so. And of course, I've seen him in passing at Lulabelle, but we've actually never spoken. But I, I hear he's an amazing man and he's, he's, he's very well beloved. Yeah, couldn't say enough uh, good things about him. Awesome. Hey, Robert, does he tend to attend um, some of the, like, Designer Con and those kind of events? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, okay, you, cool. will, you will see him walking around. He is um, extremely fashionable. He's always well-dressed and well-kept, and he has quite a few tattoos uh, ranging, you know, his hands and knuckles even to the side of his neck. So he's pretty hard to miss. Cool. I got another question. Shoot. So we've been talking a lot about the Sofubi scene and the aesthetics and how, you know, you can kind of break down into lots of different facets. But then there's the broader scene, right? Just the designer toy scene in general. So Mm -hmm. we've got stuff like Sofubi, but then we've got the Western stuff and all of that. So how do you feel like Sofubi fits in the designer toy scene? Do you feel like Sofubi collectors tend to only stay in the Sofubi world? Or do they collect other designer toys? Like, I, I don't know if I could picture this traditional Japanese sofubi next to a dunny, but maybe you could. So what is your perspective on that? Uh, I've actually been on both sides of that fence myself personally. Uh, I was very heavily into Western vinyl. Uh, at the time, it was all I had known. When I had first found out about uh, sofubi and uh, Japanese toys, I didn't translate that the old Godzilla and Ultraman figures and Super Sentai that I had collected when I was a kid was in that classification. I only saw a lot of the newer artists and none of it really spoke to me at the time and it confused me and I was vehemently against it. And that obviously was broken down and I do collect both. Um, But there's also the polar opposite side where there are a lot of collectors of strictly sofubi that do not like or appreciate what western vinyl artists or toys uh do for them uh they don't like the aesthetic so it's i believe that they are two different worlds that exist in the same universe but it's generally two types of species there's people who only collect sofubi then there's people who only collect western and you'll get the seldom uh collector that has both i myself have both Um, I very much appreciate uh, the Western vinyl and Western artists just the same as I do uh, Japanese uh, vinyl and Japanese artists. So it it is a mixed match. It's a little bit of a rarity. I think a lot of times um, one or the other doesn't make sense to one or the other, whether it's the process or whether it's even like the aesthetic. Some people who only collect uh, Sofobi have said that a lot of Western toys are too pop art related for them or they're too pop artist related, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, a lot of the people I've spoken to that only collect Western vinyl will look at the sofa B and they don't understand 
um, the constant rehash of popular characters like Godzilla or Gamera that just get reiterated from company to company, or then they'll look at original creations from someone like Splurt or Paul Kaiju, and it just throws them off so bad that they have zero interest in it. Yeah. I mean, there are very different aesthetics for sure. I, I, Mm -hmm. I, I don't, intentionally do it but i know i kind of blend a bit in that middle group because i do have both i did not like intentionally do that but i mean i do have a mix of sofubi in my collection with mm-hmm. western stuff but um but yeah i mean i get it because especially if you're only seeing you know you're talking about stuff being at the helm and it being the things like paul kaiju and what you know those kind of artists are putting out it is a very Mm -hmm. specific aesthetic and if you're not into that then i can definitely see people saying no that's like that's just not for me yeah so it also translates with artists though as well because there are famous western vinyl artists like james jarvis or cause or kozik really got their first start with japanese companies like bounty hunter all three of those aforementioned artists got their first toys done through Bounty Hunter, which is a Japanese company. But now Frank Kozik is, you know, a higher up uh, creative for Kid Robot. And he's also produced with almost every American toy company that there is in Western vinyl. But he's also done a lot in Japanese vinyl as well uh, and currently still produces in Japanese vinyl. So there is that crossover and there is uh, that melding between collector and artist between you know both regions and mediums but there also is that very big separationist uh mentality that also exists yeah no that makes sense well you know i think you know the other thing that i'm just interested on is you know we talk a lot about sofubi trends and um, what people are kind of doing today i mean in your perspective robert where are the Tafubi trends today? And like, where do you think things are headed? What, what do you think? You said there's a lot of experimental stuff going on in the custom side. Do you think that yeah. there'll be different experiments with the aesthetics for production as well? There's definitely ebb and flow uh, for a lot of aesthetics. You know, there is a uh, very uh, sought after, but very unknown on a, in, a, in a literal sense, nobody knows who this guy is. He's an artist that goes by the name Beeman. It's a B-E-M-O-N. He made a very popular and very hard-to-find figure called the Two-Headed Beast. And when that figure came out, there was an influx of artists making two-headed monsters. And it's still somewhat prevalent today. There's a lot of like monsters that uh, and toys that came out uh, in the last year or two that have two heads on them. There was a good stretch of time where people were constantly making gorilla toys or apes because, you know, artists like Hirota was releasing his versions and he's very, very popular and sought after. Um, So there are ebb and flow uh, trends and there are things that when one artist gets picked up on very heavily, then it starts to kind of just snowball. Right now, it seems like a lot of the... Um, trend is going into hyper detailed uh, toys that have, in my opinion, way too much detail, almost to the point that they look like action figures. And I don't think it quite translates as well. Um, I think the medium gets lost in a lot of the um, paint applications because there's too much paint, there's too much detail, there's too much articulation. 
in a lot of ways I kind of related to when uh, Dunny Customs were getting so covered with customization that it lost the Dunny figure and no longer became a Dunny. Right. So a, a lot of these toys, in my again, in my opinion, as of late, have been coming out with so much detail and you know it it doesn't necessarily speak to me personally but again everything has its fan base so you know things just keep getting made and getting produced so i'm sure there's going to be somewhat of a death of that and we'll start to see something else uh arise out of the foray but there's so many artists that have so many different aesthetics and so many different types of sculpting technique and what speaks to them and what they're influenced by that you know, literally anything can be caught on and picked up and yeah. turned into the next thing. Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like it's kind of a one thing blows up and then a lot of people follow and kind of mm-hmm. tack on to that theme, which I know we talked about a little bit. Like, George, you felt like Mickey Mouse became a thing and like a million people were suddenly making Mickey Mouse thing toys. So it yeah, sounds like exactly. This- so it sounds like a similar thing going on in the Sophie B. world as well. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, <laughs> there is a a current artist that has somewhat of like a, it's like a zombie Mickey mouse figure. So that is still, even that's still prevalent. You can't kill Mickey. He's always around. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, even if something's not necessarily uh, trendy or, you know, constantly picking up steam, a lot of these reoccurring themes still exist in some form or fashion. That's cool. I, I, this is not even related to this, but it's something that I've been wanting to ask, and we can cut it, Gary, if I'm going to sound like totally stupid. But <laughs> I'll leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> but like, okay, you, you know, we're talking about so Fubi Customs and airbrushing and that being mm-hmm. a really important technique, and there's some people out there who do it really well. There's a name I hear a lot, Godos, Godos Godosan. Son. Yes. Okay. I, I am such a noob. Can can you explain to me like is yeah, is he a customizer of Sofubi like wh- no, what is his role? He is not a customizer. He is just incredibly long-standing. I actually got to visit this man uh, during my 2015 stay. He has essentially uh, since I think around the 60s, he was kind of like a factory painter. So these companies would pull Godzilla toys and Gamera, et cetera, et cetera, and they would go to him and he would factory streamline paint these figures for mass production. So he has professionally, as his full-time day job since the 60s, been painting toys. So he went from painting things for companies like Bullmark and Bandai, you know, in the, in the days when toys were strictly just toys for kids he was painting those and he has since transitioned um for quite some time now into a lot of the designer artists uh in japan um that have been making toys so companies and artists like uamu and realhead they have been having their toys painted by him and painting toys with him you know almost since they started so goto-san is more or less just a household name uh, in painting and he's been doing it for so long and he's been long since somewhat considered kind of like a master of it. Uh, His studio is incredible. It's something that you can't even really comprehend even if I described it, but yeah, he uh, Godosan is the name that gets 
um, put around a lot because he has been involved in so many different artists' projects and just in general painting toys for, I mean, if not 50 years, close to 50 years. Cool. Yeah, I, I just, I know I hear his name pop up a lot you know, social media, and I'm always just like, I feel like I should know who this is. Like, this is, seems like someone really important. So appreciate you sharing and filling me in oh, so course. I'm less of a dude. You can, <laughs> you can see videos of Goto-san on, uh, on YouTube of him painting Absolutely. stuff. And yes. Don, Don oh. uses him for a lot of his stuff that he, that he works is, on. Yes, that is okay. absolutely correct. I'll look those up. Thanks, George. That's all I got, Gary. Okay. George, George, you got any Sofubi education you need beyond what we've talked through? Mm, nope. Well, thanks for showing <laughs> up, George. <laughs> this has been a uh, very quiet George episode. <laughs> Have you just uh, been taking it all in? Soaking I, I mean, this sponge? I, I've been involved in, um, I guess indirectly two projects and directly one project with Japan now. And uh, I find it way more frustrating than I do dealing with a China factory. Yeah. Uh, um, you sculpted Scott Tollison's, both of his figures, correct? The beats? Uh, the two, yeah, the two dead beats that he did. Mm. Um, and then I sculpted the, um, why can't I remember? Oh, Doomcoff for Blitzkrieg Vinyl. Oh, you and, oh um, man, that thing is amazing. And that is uh, getting getting that toy... Like Scott handled all the production for his beats and stuff, so I have no idea how that went. Mm -hmm. um, but I had I tried to uh, I tried to dip my hand into handling things for uh, Blitzkrieg Vinyl, and uh, man, it takes a long time to get something in Japan. Yeah, it um, does. I it's... I can't. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say I, I I don't know exactly the process for the Chinese production, but I do know. With the Japanese production, sculpts have to be kind of sculpted or altered or broken down in certain ways that they can be pulled manageably. So if you have something of a creature that has a very long tail, that tail is going to have to be separated. It's going to have to be made its own part on the mold because if you try to pull the body with the tail attached due to the method that it's done the tail is either going to stretch or rip every time. So a lot of times people will sculpt something and they'll have like a horn coming upward that's going to be in opposition to the vinyl pole that they cannot do because it'll just tear every single time. Right. So you'll have to revise and re-sculpt or you'll have to take pieces off and make them separate. And it's, it is a very, very grueling and long process. And Again, I'm not sure how it differs from the Chinese production and how they can manage to pull a lot of this stuff. Because like I said, these figures that are hyper detailed and have all these crazy articulation, those are generally the ones that get made in China. So they've got something that's obviously vastly different in the production process. But yeah, the Japanese process takes a long, long time. And when we had Paul Kaiju on, I mean, anyone who wants to go back and listen to that episode, it was a great episode with Paul. He was basically saying like he's been a huge collector of Safubi toys for, for 
very long time. And just mm-hmm. just being a collector of it, he just he just developed this innate sense of how to design for the process. Yeah. And um so that I think that definitely helps kind of familiarizing yourself with the Sufubi toys and the manufacturing process and just knowing how to design for it cuz it's not like designing for the the Japanese process at all. It's a, it's a it's a very different way of manufacturing there and how to get things done and so it definitely seems to you know the more you know the more the better you'll you'll be yeah he he's very inundated into it and if you look at paul's toys uh even a lot of his current things if you look at them compared to a lot of the vintage stuff they they share a lot of uh similarities and characteristic where the uh, articulation isn't um over the top he generally has anywhere between like four and eight moving parts which is not that many for a single figure but he also carries a lot of smooth surfaces um there's not a lot of uh rigidity if that's the word i'm looking for and there's not a a whole ton of texture some of his figures do have some texture but he generally keeps a very classic uh smoothness to his toys yeah and i think that makes the process uh generally a a little bit easier a little bit um smoother to uh have the figures made in general yeah well robert thanks for coming on that was fun thank you guys for having me yeah i I had a blast i hope hope you guys have a good event tomorrow thank you so much we're very much looking forward to it and you know hopefully there'll be a lot of people in attendance uh we do have a section on the website itself on lulubelltoys.com there is a blog tab and underneath that tab not only will you be able to see the events for tomorrow that took place in photo but there is also um, a handful of blogs for factories and artists that i visited during my stay in japan in 2015 okay cool i'll go check that out yeah, thank you so much for hopping on. It's been super informative for me. I feel I feel like less of a noob. How about you, Gary? You feel I feel like shit, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you feel like crap. No, I feel no, no, no. I, I no, I I learn every time I talk to Robert, I learn something. So yeah. Yeah. I need to make it to Lulu Bell more often. Yes, you need to go. I can't go, so I need to go through you. So you, you have to promise me if you're not sick with the flu or God, whatever else your kids give you, that you'll go to the next. What was it? Sofubi what? Jam? No, Sofubi Social. Sofubi <laughs> Social. <laughs> you gotta go, and then you gotta take pictures for me or like video stream with me because I want to see it. I'll do that. We'll we'll do a live recording from Lulu Bell, Sofubi Social. Yeah. That could be our four, our first Marsham Toy Hour Instagram Live, Gary. There we go. Let's let's go live. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so let's wrap it up. So, uh, Robert, why don't you take a brief moment and let everyone know where they can find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram as Manic Images, M A N I C underscore one M A G three S. Very cool. Again, we'll, we'll promote Funcy a little bit because he's curating this awesome show. Uh, at Funcy on Instagram, P-H-U-N-T-S-Y. Uh, Teresa. Yeah, sure. Uh, as usual, if you want to find me, check me out on Instagram. My username is tmhawk24. What's your Vero? Oh, gosh. My Vero is actually – so 
Vero, when you sign up, doesn't ask for a username. It just says full name. So I typed in Teresa Hawkins. So my Vero, it was just my name. There you go. But yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, sure. Try me on there. I'm, I'm telling you all right now, I'm not very active, but hey, we'll see what happens. <laughs> George. I tell everyone every week I'm not active on Instagram. Might as well tell, tell them I'm not active on Vero, too. Uh, <laughs> Double G Toys on Instagram. All right. I'm Gary Ham on Instagram and superham.com. This has been the Marsham Toy Hour. We do this every week, not because we have to, but because we want to. So until our next transmission, we're signing off. Bye. Bye. <clears throat> Good job, Teresa. <laughs> Can I just well, I got so nervous. It sucks, doesn't I it? <laughs> I felt like I had to roll everything. I'm not a fan. I don't know how you do it, Gary. You you eventually get used to it, but I definitely enjoyed watching you sort of <laughs> flop around this time and just kind of sitting back and watching someone else try to host for once. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like, normally it's just like, you know, you kind of say stuff and keep going, and then I pipe in where I want. And, like, this time I was like, I have to start controlling the conversation. Yeah. This is kind of weird. Yeah. So, props to you, Gary, because I was like, I, I weirdly got, like, instead of just like kind of sitting back and having fun and relaxing and just piping in, I was like nervous and on edge. It was weird. Well, you did good. You did, you handled it well. I did okay. You kind of helped help step in there and take the ball and keep it moving. So I did. I did nothing. Way to go, George. <laughs> As usual. <laughs>